On this episode, we are continuing our focus on valvular disorders. This time, it is about mitral valve regurgitation, also called mitral valve insufficiency, which is reflux of blood from left ventricle into the left atrium during systole. So after listening to this episode, you should be able to describe the pathogenesis, recognize the symptoms, and be able to manage the treatments. You are listening to MedMints, a podcast to refresh your medical knowledge. I'm your host, Elisa Saleh. So what happens in these patients with mitral valve regurgitation? Well, during the contraction of the left ventricle, ideally the high pressure produced in the left ventricle should close the mitral valve, so blood only can flow through aortic valve into the systemic circulation. But in these patients, the mitral valve does not close during systole, and this causes the blood flowing back to the left atrium. So let's take a look on why this happens. There are many causes for developing mitral valve regurgitation, but the most common cause is mitral valve prolapse. Besides that, if there is dysfunction of any component of the mitral apparatus, it can cause mitral regurgitation. Just to make sure that we remember the components of mitral apparatus, let's shortly go through them. So these components are mitral annulus, mitral valve leaflets, corded tendine, and the papillary muscles. So mitral annulus, mitral valve leaflets, corded tendine, and the papillary muscles. Again, we said that if there is any impairment of one or more of these components of mitral apparatus, mitral regurgitation can occur. We should therefore know what impairs these components. So let's start with the leaflets. Weakening of mitral leaflets can be due to inherited connective tissue syndrome called Marfan syndrome. Characteristic of these individuals with this condition is that they tend to be tall, thin, they have long arms, legs, fingers and long toes. Another connective tissue syndrome that can cause weakness of mitral leaflet is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It can also be systemic lupus erythematosus, where the immune system starts attacking the connective tissue of the mitral valve and damages the valve heavily, which can result in mitral regurgitation. It can also be due to infective endocarditis. In infective endocarditis, we see vegetations consisting of bacteria, inflammatory cells, and fibrin, and these will destruct the valve. What about weakness of the annulus ring? This can be due to any condition that lead to pathological dilation of the left ventricle. Dilation of the left ventricle will stretch the annulus ring, and stretching of mitral annulus can also be caused by heart failure, where dilation of left heart chambers are seen, as well as in dilated cardiomyopathy. So both conditions leading to stretching of mitral annulus, hence leading to mitral valve regurgitation. When it comes to papillary muscles, the necrotic area of patients with myocardial infarction can be located in the area where papillary muscles are found. And therefore, this can cause dysfunction of the papillary muscles and eventually leads to mitral regurgitation as well. Hypertensive heart disease can also cause mitral regurgitation. 
This is because the left heart has to work harder to pump the blood into the increased peripheral resistance. So left ventricle starts undergoing hypertrophy. But by time, left ventricle cannot keep up with the chronic hypertension. So it starts undergoing dilation. And this again will result in mitral regurgitation. Other causes of mitral regurgitation is rheumatic fever. Also patients with severe aortic stenosis or aortic regurgitation can lead to mitral regurgitation. There are two types of mitral valve regurgitation, acute and chronic. So let's start with the acute one. In case of acute mitral valve regurgitation, we see sudden increase of pressure in the left ventricle and left atrium leading to retrograde pressure causing pulmonary venous hypertension and severe pulmonary edema. This hemodynamic change also leads to decrease in the forward stroke volume and acute drop in the cardiac output. Clinically, the decreased cardiac output will present as severe hypotension and even cardiogenic shock. And then we have a chronic mitral valve regurgitation, where the left atrium has time to adapt to the increased pressure. Therefore, in chronic mitral valve regurgitation, we see dilation and hypertrophy of the left atrium. As this allows more space for the blood in the left atrium, we see less pressure getting transmitted back to the pulmonary circuit compared to the acute one. Therefore, the pulmonary edema will not be as significant as in acute mitral valve regurgitation. Also, the increased ejection fraction in chronic mitral valve regurgitation maintains the cardiac output. But this chronically elevated preload of left ventricle leads to eccentric hypertrophy of the left ventricle. Remember, eccentric means that the myocardial cells are growing lengthwise, and this is not a good sign. The heart cannot keep up with the pressure and the volume, so the heart starts progressing to decompensated congestive heart failure. Now to the clinical features of mitral valve regurgitation. Patients may present with palpitation, and as mentioned earlier in acute mitral regurgitation, one of the complications was a pulmonary edema. And therefore, patients may have symptoms associated with that, like dyspnea or orthopnea. We also mentioned that atrium can undergo dilation, and that can cause atrial fibrillation, so we might see signs of that as well, which can be irregularly irregular pulse. When the condition leads to severe stage where both ventricles fail, we can say that the patient has congestive cardiac failure. The clinical features of congestive cardiac failure is features like jugular venous distension because of the right atrium starts failing. Also, patients might have enlarged liver because the blood simply cannot drain into the caval system. Patients can also have ascites and edema because of the high hydrostatic pressure in the systemic capillaries. Depending on the regurgitation fraction, clinically, patients present with different severity. If the volume of the regurgitation is less than around 40%, patients may be less symptomatic. But if the regurgitation is greater than around 50%, the left ventricular failure develops, which have high mortality. Now to diagnosis of mitral regurgitation. When you auscultate patient with mitral regurgitation, you will be able to hear holocystic murmur. 
This is because when left ventricle is pushing blood during systole, some of the blood will regurgitate into the left atrium, which causes this sound. This is best heard at the apex with radiation to the axilla. The sound will become louder with squatting. This is because the resistance in the circulatory system increases, and this causes less blood pushed out from left ventricle, which result in more blood regurgitating back into left atrium. The sound will also become louder with expiration, because during expiration, the venous return increases. So increased blood volume reaches the right and left side of the heart, which leads to more blood regurgitating and therefore a louder sound is created. When we auscultate, we can also hear S3 heart sound, which is caused due to the dilation of the left ventricles. We can also do chest x-ray and ECG for diagnosing. But the most important is to do echocardiography. It can tell us the regurgitating valve, if the capillary muscles is ruptured, and it can tell us the size of the atrium or the ventricles. Sometimes also transesophageal echocardiography is made. This is an alternative way to perform echocardiogram. We have reached the last part of this episode, which is the treatment of mitral valve regurgitation. So in case of acute left ventricular volume overload, this can be managed with diuretics. The diuretics can decrease the volume, which can lead to smaller chambers and smaller mitral annulus ring, which then result in lesser degree of regurgitation. Often patients show up in late stage, and in these severe cases surgery is made, where the mitral valve is replaced with prostatic valve. But in case of early stage, medications like diuretics can manage the pulmonary edema and anticoagulants is given to prevent the thromboembolism. Also important to mention here is that when mitral regurgitation is primarily a valve defect, the valve repair or the replacement can correct the mitral regurgitation and improve the long-term prognosis. But if there is, let's say, dysfunction or dilation of the ventricle, the mitral repair or replacement might have little effect or none on the symptoms or the prognosis. We can also give antibiotics to prevent infective endocarditis. And lastly, we can give angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitor, which is used to dilate the arteries, and in this way it becomes easier for the left ventricle to pump the blood into the circulation, and as a result, the regurgitation might become less. That was all about mitral regurgitation. We have one more episode left about valvular diseases, which will be about aortic stenosis and regurgitation. And after that, we will continue with our cardiac pathology series with, I think, around four to five more episodes. But for now, thank you very much for listening. I really, really hope that you guys find this useful. If you do, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and if anything else you want to ask me or just any feedback, feel free to contact me. That was all from me. Take care and see you soon.